Now, it may seem a little odd to have the sermon or the message right up front, but that's what we're going to do today. We're going to be talking about what I call the Believer's Guide for Praising God. Now, someone has described the psalm that we're looking at today, Psalm 150, as the grand finale. And in some respects, it is like a grand finale for the whole book of Psalms. Uh, And it's kind of like that that final burst of light and color you see on a 4th of July celebration. You get a lot of uh, bang, 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 but the big finale where everything kind of blows up. That's kind of the way this psalm is. Now, like I said, I'm calling this myself the Believer's Guide for Praising God. And it begins very simply with those words which we've sung a lot already today, which is, Praise the Lord. Now, the Hebrew translated praise the Lord is actually a a compound consisting of two words, two Hebrew words. One of them, which is halal, uh, which simply means praise. And then the end part of it is yah, which is the first part of the name of God, Yahweh. So you got halal yah. Uh, It's an abbreviated, it's a personal name that God chose for himself way back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. So those two Hebrew words uh, together form halal yah, from which we get hallelujah. It's used over 150 times in the Old Testament, and it's almost always uh, with yah, uh, particularly here in Psalm 150. And when you get that combination together, it's all about praising the Lord. Now what we're going to do today, Psalm 150 answers four basic questions about uh, praising God. And I got to tell you, there's nothing original about my outline at all, because if you read Psalm 150, it falls into four distinct parts. I mean, it it writes its own outline. But I have been reading through a two-volume set. I have the book here today, uh, Kidner's classic commentaries on the book of Psalms. So this this is only half of it. This is Psalm 73 to 150. So when I'm looking at Kidner, I'm wondering, what does Kidner have to say? He writes all of one page about this, but it's the same outline as I'd already written. The where of praise, the why of praise, the how of praise, the who of praise. There you go. I mean, I could have just said that much and said, okay, folks, go home. You've heard those four things. Read the psalmic. Write your own sermon. And you ought to be able to do that. But, you know, Psalm 150, like I said, it, it, it's answers basic questions about what it really means to praise God. And I'm going to do this in the form of uh, four questions. And so question number one is, praise God, but where? Where should we be doing this praising? Well, as you read through the psalm, and as we've sung already, it starts in the sanctuary. That's what it says. Now, we are sitting in the sanctuary, which today a lot of people, a sanctuary is a safe place. And that's kind of the way a church has been because there's still some places today where you can run into a church and receive sanctuary. It's a safe place where nobody can bother you. But here in verse 1, it says, Praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary. Now, that Hebrew word here for sanctuary literally means a place that is set apart. And so this place here, restore, is a sanctuary. It's a place set apart. And it generally refers to a place where people gather together to worship God. And throughout the Bible, as you read all the stories in Scripture, God makes it clear that he intends believers to be very diligent and faithful 
and regular uh, in assembling together for what we would call corporate worship, although never as a substitute for those private times of worship. My prayer would be that you've worshipped already sometime this week and that you do that on a kind of a regular basis uh, when you're alone reading God's word. I try to make it a habit. In fact, I've got got all the way through so that coming this Monday, I'm going to start back again in Genesis chapter 1 and uh, 2, another couple of spots, and going to try to read through the Bible again one more time this year. It comes in your time of just prayer as you're scribbling down prayer things. I've already had prayer requests this morning. Can you pray for this? Can you pray for this? I've been communicating with your bride this morning because she's got a problem with a friend who landed from Bolivia in Los Angeles and nobody there to meet her. Can you help? Uh, Well, first of all, I wrote back, I'll be praying and I'm going to see if I can figure out how to hook her up with Jerry Martin, who happens to live in Los Angeles. The only person I could think of who lives in Los Angeles. So there's all kinds of ways that we can do this, but... It should never obscure that a major part of every worship service should just be praise. And we've already kind of done that today. So it also takes place, according to this psalm, in the heavens. The last part of verse 1 says, praise him in his mighty heavens. And the Hebrew, again, for heavens is a word that really means kind of an expanse or firmament. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 8, if you go back and read the story of the the creation story, When God created this great expanse between the waters on earth and the waters in the heavens, he he called that space heavens, but in Psalm 150, uh, it doesn't seem to be referring to that expanse in between, but in a broader sense. And what he's saying here is that God is to be praised literally in the expanse of his power. Wherever God's power is or can be exhibited, in other words, Wherever God's power reaches, he is to be worshipped. Now, a good question would be, where can God's power not go? (laughs) God can do whatever God wants to do. Uh, God's power is everywhere. And so wherever God is, where his power is, he is to be worshipped. Now, so the expanse of God's power, where does it end? Well, it doesn't. It covers all of creation. Uh, it includes the expanse above the earth, it, um, which God named heaven in Genesis. It goes all the way to even something that Paul referred to in Second Corinthians when he talked about the third heaven. I'm not going to talk about that. If you want to do that and talk back time what the third heaven is all about, we can do that. In other words, the place where God and his angels dwell and where the redeemed people who passed from uh, earth dwell that's kind of the third heaven so it goes way beyond that the expanse of god's power simply means everywhere so the bottom line is everywhere you and i go we should offer praise to god because the expanse of his power includes the whole universe you know we can fly to dallas or we can fly to phoenix arizona And it's a long way from home, and yet it's not any further away from God than he was when you were sitting at a worship service at Restore or in your own home, your home, wherever. Now, obviously, there are some places that God would prefer that we not go. 
But wherever it's appropriate for us to go, we should find praise welling up in our hearts and we should express that praise in some way. And in fact, praise unexpressed is, well, I guess we'd say it's really not praise if you're not doing that. So here's the second question. Praise God, but why should we do it? Why should we do it? Well, there are multitudes of reasons why. Verse 2 tells us, praise him in for his what? Mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. So we, we praise him for what he does, those mighty deeds. And those mighty deeds are, are more numerous than any of us could name. I mean, it, I went around today and said, can you give me an example of how God has done a mighty deed in your life? I have a feeling that if we sat and thought about this long enough, we'd go right around the room. I mean, pick on Bo. I mean, somebody who's living down in Harrison, Arkansas, find somebody who's living down in Bo or down in, in another country. That God worked that out. You all got stories about how God worked something out that you would have never thought about that He could possibly do. Uh, I mean, his power was demonstrated when he performed the mighty miracles, for example, in Egypt, uh, in order to convince Pharaoh to set the people of Israel free from the bondage of Egypt. Uh, But then after he let him go, what happens? Pharaoh decides, um, no, I I don't want you to go. And so he chases after them. And what does God do again? Out of his supernatural power, uh, he opens up the Red Sea. And he lets the Israelites go through on dry land, and then he closes it and drowns all of Pharaoh and Pharaoh's army. And so uh, the mighty acts continue down through the centuries. You go back to your Bible, read them on Mount Carmel, for example. One of my favorite Bible stories, you got Elijah up there in a preach-off against the prophets of Baal. Uh, the Lord miraculously intervenes uh, on Elijah's behalf by sending fire from heaven that not only burned up the sacrifice, burned up the sticks, burned up the rocks, burned up the water, everything. Um, and the list could go on and on about how many different occasions God performed mighty acts in your life, my life, and the life of lots of people around the world. And then Jesus, God in the flesh. Think about New Testament. What, what did he do? Um, he miraculously feeds thousands of people with just five little barley loaves and a couple of small fish. Uh, he caused lame people to walk. He uh, enabled the blind people to see, the deaf to hear. And then he even raised people from the dead. And so miracle after miracle, the power of God is recorded in the Old Testament and the New Testament. But God's mighty acts didn't end when the book of Revelation ended. It didn't end with the ascension of Jesus. It didn't end at the time when the apostles all died. So God continues to do mighty acts, including mighty acts of healing. Again, I would suggest that we could probably go around the room today and say, have you ever been a part of a pretty mighty act of healing where it didn't make sense for this person to live through this or uh, how some how, for us we'd say, look how the doctors intervened, but it was God who got the doctors there. All these mighty acts. So it's pretty obvious, though, that at the same time that not every sick person is healed, uh, but he does heal many people. He heals people today through medication uh, or surgery or miraculously uh, without the aid of any of those things. 
In my time in ministry, I've known where people got terribly ill, thought they were going to go in the hospital for surgery, and when they got there, all of their ailments were gone. Now, how did that happen? Well, somebody said, well, Pastor, we know how that happened. We told you what was wrong, and you said you would pray about it. And part of me wants to go, well, yeah, but and i got to get rid of that but. And I don't want to lay claim to being able to heal people long distance. <laughs> but does that happen? Do we pray for people elsewhere and God intervenes thousands of miles away? Sure he does. He causes the forces of nature to take an unusual turn. Tornado comes across the field by your farm and you're praying, oh Lord, deliver us and the tornado suddenly just dies out and stops. Um, All kinds of things like that. But one of God's mightiest acts if you were to ask me, what do you, Barry, what do you think is to be the, the mightiest act of God? What could that be? I sometimes think it, 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 it's when a person repents of their sin and turns to Jesus. I think that's one of the mightiest acts. That God forgives a sinful person, cleans up that person's life, and then writes his or her name in, the, in heaven's book. Uh, Paul, when he wrote to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, said, Therefore, if any be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. That's what he does. Well, we can also praise him for who he is. I mean, the psalmist says in verse 2, praise him according to his excellent greatness. I mean, he's the creator of this world. Everything we see outside. Uh, he is the sovereign of this universe. Um, I remember learning all these omni words when I was in grade school about omnipresent and omniscient and omnipotent, uh, which is a a big way of saying that he's all wise and he's all powerful. He's all loving. He's all merciful. In fact, a song we probably could have sung today. uh, I thought about it earlier this morning. I played it on, on my laptop as I was working. But it's an old Rich Mullins song. Our God is an awesome God been a great song to have sung well we also uh, there's a third question we praise god but how do we do it how can we do it well when the author tells us of the ways to praise god the list is not meant to be exhaustive like i'm going to give you 10 10 ways to do this now in other words he's just giving us a few examples here in scripture of how to do it well one way is with instruments verses three to five praise him and he mentions all these kind of instruments We have to translate them. Uh, Praise him with a trumpet, the sopar. It would have been a ram's horn, probably. Uh, uh, Praise him with the lute, which would have been either a a guitar and with a harp. Uh, Praise him with the tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud crashing cymbals. Now, some of you probably say, well, I don't know if we need loud crashing cymbals at Restore. But, you know, there's all kinds of instruments we could use. And we are blessed not only to have Mary Evelyn, we're blessed to have music that plays. And on occasion, we're blessed then when we have Kathy here playing the piano. And I think on our our, our second anniversary, we're going to be blessed. I think cause Joel wants to come out that Sunday, too. And so it's going to be instruments. So just praise him from the whole orchestra. Uh, you know, make a beautiful, harmonious sound in such a way that God is honored and people's hearts are drawn to them. 
Now, Mary Evelyn likes the second part, I know. The second way is to do this with dance. Now, verse 4 said that we are to praise him with dance. Now, in Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 3, verse 4, it says there is a time to mourn and a time to dance. And the, the inspired writer of this psalm says that there is a time for praising God by dancing. Now, before any of you get nervous here, I don't know that we're going to break out today uh, in dance. Who knows? Uh, we are not giving any specifics as how to dance. However, because of what the Bible teaches about modesty and purity, we know that any dance which praises God must never be suggestive or provocative. And it's reasonable even, I think, for us to assume that the dancing here referred probably to some form of joyous, spontaneous uh, movements which express joy and gratitude. Uh, How many of you ever been in a church where there was dance? Okay. What did you think? You thought, well, that's interesting, or not in my church, you know, whatever it is. But, you know, when we get to the New Testament, what's interesting, uh, we find no indication that dancing was part of worship. Now, I don't know what that means. But all I know is I I got to thinking about this. When I left Lord of Life, I'd been there for, what, 10, 11, 12 years. They had a big farewell service. The farewell service just blew the, um, what would I call them, died in the wool Lutheran Church, Missouri, sended people who showed up like the district president and area pastors because I had friends from all over the city of Chicago. And in fact, one of them brought their dance team. <laughs> and so we had, I don't know, it was, a, it was a group of young girls. I don't know, there was six, eight of them just danced around. And, and I'm sure there, some of the poor guys were like, oh, you know, Elizabeth, I'm coming home. Uh, they were just about ready to die. And I just thought it was really cool. It was really wonderful. Um, so we can be sure that dancing is still to be used in praising God. I have been to any number of churches where they, they call it liturgical dancing. I don't know what that really means. But I've been in a church service in Africa where they just danced the entire time. I felt like I was the only one that wasn't dancing. I and mean, I probably danced a little bit at the end. You didn't want to see that. But yeah, it's, it's an expression of praise by someone who's deeply committed to the Lord where you know, it's like everything that's within me, bless and praise his holy name. And you're not trying to impress anyone. And you're not even trying to impress God. But this is a way that you, you tend to do this. And we could probably extend this to, you know, should we have our hands in the air? Should we dance around? Should we move? Hey, whatever turns you on. If that's not meant to dwell attraction to yourself, but to praise the Lord. So we can be sure that if dancing is still to be used, it's got to be an expression of praise. 1 Corinthians 14.40 says, Let all things, now we could lump a lot of stuff in there, but let all things be done decently and in order. There's a right time and a right place for everything. Um, Paul makes that statement in regard here to speaking in tongues because they were having that problem in their church. It had become a problem, but the principle here is much broader than speaking in tongues. In other words, dancing or anything that disrupts a worship service uh, rather than enhances the worship service um, or causes confusion in a worship service rather than encouraging stronger commitment to the Lord uh, probably shouldn't be taking place in that setting. So the scripture says there are, there are many appropriate ways to praise God. 
Uh, just give you two examples from the psalm, Psalm 69, 30. I'll praise the name of God with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. Burst out singing or shouting, you know, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Uh, or in uh, Psalm 35, 20, and my tongue shall speak of thy righteousness and thy, of thy praise all the day long. So you find ways of saying that. You know, maybe you just look out, look out the back window or the back door in the morning and you go, oh, man, Lord, what a beautiful sunrise. I don't know if you saw it this morning. Maybe you're still sleeping. It's pretty bright red, lots of colors. Uh, it, you know, that's a momentary kind of burst of praise. So here's the fourth question. Praise God, but who? Who should be doing this? Well, first of all, he talks about the heavenly hosts. Verse 6, let everything that has breath praise, halal, the Lord, praise the Lord. So the Bible makes it abundantly clear that the heavenly hosts are involved in this too, and that even the most intimate parts of creation are to praise him. I'm going to give you a couple examples from the, from the book of Psalms again. Psalm 148, verses 1 to 5. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all you angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all stars of light. Praise him, heavens of heavens and waters that be above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. Wow. In other words, God's glory and his greatness are evidenced by all that he's made, and that brings praise to him. When, when God created the world, at the end of each day, what did he say? God looked at what he created, and it was good. It was, And at the end, he says, oh, by the way, it was very good. <laughs> now, if God says it's good, I can't even imagine what that would be like. But when that, God tosses in a very, blows me away. So God's glory and greatness is evidenced by all that he's made. The second thing he's done is by human beings. That's, that's you and me. In Psalm 150, uh, verse 6, the emphasis is on everything that has breath. I mean, if you've got a place, let the breathe yet, and undoubtedly the intended focus here is on human beings. Let everyone praise God regardless of where you are, uh, your age, your race, your background, your economic status. Uh, your health conditions, your denominational background, or anything else. Everyone has a reason to praise God if only they look for those reasons. Now, there's a difference between waking up in the morning going, Oh, God, it's morning. And saying, Oh, God, it's morning. <laughs> it's an attitude. Sometimes we just need an attitude adjustment. But there's a good reason to do that. So, friends, if... If, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and if your life is linked trustfully and obediently to him, then however tough things might get, whatever losses you may uh, have incurred, or no matter how much your heart may be breaking right now, in spite of it all, as someone said, you can still sing with tears in your eyes. You can sing even in spite of the pain. You can praise God because you've got Jesus in your heart to strengthen you, to sustain you, to comfort you, to guide you, and then at the end to take you back home where you belong. 
Paul, when he was writing to Christians in Philippi, Philippi, Philippians 4, 6 and 7, said, be, be careful about nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. But then he adds the great thing at the end. And the peace of God, which passes all of understanding, shall keep your heart and minds through Christ Jesus. A wonderful prayer to remember. John sixteen thirty three. Jesus said, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. He's saying that to a bunch of people that were really worried about what was going to be happening. He said, in this world, you will have tribulation. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Now, sometimes we, we focus way too much on the tribulation. Oh, the world's going to hell in the handbasket. Maybe. But my Bible ends up by saying, but be of good cheer, I've overcome this world. In other words, I got it. And now you're worried about it because it's in the hands of man, but I got it. I don't know if you ever heard the name Thomas Ken, K-E-N. He was a 17th century Christian. Um, that's probably why you don't know him. He was around a few hundred years ago. Uh, but I have a feeling that he had Psalm 150 in mind when he wrote some words that you all know. I'm even tempted to sing them for you this morning. And when you, when you recognize what I'm saying, if you want to feel free, feel free to join in with me, okay? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son and Holy 